This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 30th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, just like that, Q1 is in the rearview mirror, and along with it, the IFA Convention and Franchise Expo West. As 2022 continues to race on, multi-unit is about to pass us by, and before we know it, we'll be setting our sights on New York for the IFE. It was great revisiting with Scott Gitrich last week and catching up with him post-COVID, and I'm happy to hear that through it all, they are celebrating 15 straight quarters of same-store sales growth at Topper's Pizza. You've got to love it. Before I introduce you to today's guest, Best Life Brand CEO J.J. Sorrenti, I wanted to share something here that I shared on the FRM Solutions blog last week. You know, it's really hard for me to believe it, but this year was my 25th IFA convention. IFA membership and participation has been such an important part of my career in franchising. And now, more than ever, there is so much work to do as we continue fighting the fight to protect the brand of franchising. More now than ever. There are myriads of local, state, and federal legislators, along with special interest groups and others who simply don't understand who we are and what we are all about. They just don't understand that the faces of franchising today are as diverse as our businesses. By providing meaningful jobs and resources that uplift our families and neighbors, we generate opportunity, stability, and wealth for the next generation to build an even more equitable tomorrow. As franchise-affiliated local businesses, your franchisees are part of something bigger than just your brand. Together, collectively, they are part of the IFA ecosystem. And collectively, all of us rise to the challenges and needs of the communities that we serve. To that end, the IFA has created the Open for Opportunity Initiative and has put on a roadshow to spread the gospel truth about franchising. This initiative is focused upon four pillars that we in franchising all live and breathe. These include creating opportunities for veterans and members of diverse communities, building communities every step of the way, and across those thousands of communities, bringing brands to life with franchise owners who provide for their families as they also provide stable jobs and upward mobility to members of their teams. They do this by providing competitive wages, skill training, and career growth from entry level all the way to management. The future of franchising relies on recruiting and cultivating new talent. It's why successful franchisors invest in people from all backgrounds, people who rise to those challenges. Well, the IFA Open for Opportunity Roadshow hit Atlanta this week. Never have I been so proud to be a founding member of the board of IFA's Diversity Institute and a member of the board of trustees of its educational foundation. Matt Haller, Ricky Amos, and IFA's team brought together the mayor of Atlanta and members of Atlanta's business, political, educational, and diversity communities for an introduction to franchising at every level. The day began with a live stream discussion at none other than the renowned gathering place in Atlanta and concluded at the headquarters of Inspire Brands with a program and reception hosted by none other than Inspire's CEO, Paul Brown. It made me really proud to be an IFA member and an active participant 
in the franchise community. Check out IFA's Open for Opportunity website. I'll link it up to the Franchise Today pages on both Facebook and LinkedIn to make it easier for you to find. We're going to take a quick break in just a minute, and then I'll be joined by this week's guest, J.J. Sorrenti. J.J. is the CEO of Best Life Brands, a family of companies focused mostly on our well-being. Their portfolio of brands includes Comfort Care and At Your Side, In-Home Care and Private Duty Nursing, Care Patrol, the nation's largest franchised senior placement organization, Boost Home Health Care Services, and to round it all out, Blue Moon Estate Sales, the leading estate sales franchise in America. Together, these brands comprise the portfolio known as Best Life Brands, and CEO J.J. Sorrenti joins me right here in two minutes or less. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% free programming options with more than 50 channels of highly engaging and entertaining programming that is audio optional and guaranteed to please your customers and even increase their average ticket per visit. So here's how it works. Atmosphere hooks you up with an Apple TV HD receiver loaded with more than 50 channels of fully licensed, no cost to you, fun and lifestyle programming. These channels include Chive and Red Bull TV. TV, bloopers, superhuman feats, and an array of viewing options that don't require sound to be enjoyed. And this offer is not just limited to restaurants or bars. No, any business with a TV screen in its waiting room can benefit from Atmosphere's free programming offer as well. So what are you waiting for? Cut the cord on overpriced cable and get Atmosphere TV with its 100% free, engaging, and entertaining programming options. Keep your guests happy while they wait to see you. Instead of watching the clock and their wait times, chiropractors, doctors, dentists, auto repair shops, anyone with TVs in your waiting rooms, jump onto this amazing offer today. And if you text the word FRANCHISE to 474747, Atmosphere will waive the $100 setup fee for the Apple TV HD receiver that they'll ship to you as well at no cost. Atmosphere TV, changing the way businesses view television. Find them online at atmosphere.tv and remember text FRANCHISE to 474747 for the no-charge Apple receiver. Cut the cord and get rid of cable today with Atmosphere TV. As CEO, J.J. Sorrenti oversees the strategic growth of Best Life Brands. A franchising and retailing expert, J.J. has led multiple companies to award-winning results over his 25-year career. Formerly president of Safeguard Business Systems, a division of Deluxe Corporation, his experience also included serving as CEO and board member of Hollywood Tans, CEO of Huntington Learning Centers, and senior vice president and general manager at GNC, General Nutrition Centers. J.J. is also also involved with the IFA and sits on the board of trustees for the IFA's Education Foundation. JJ Sorrenti, welcome to Franchise Today. 
Thank you, Stan. I, I, it's a privilege to be with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. From what I've learned about you already, it's amazing to me that we don't know each other. We sit on a board together, and we haven't met each other. I think COVID might have a little to do with that, but come on. It's incredibly humbling to me to continue to discover that there are so many people that are my peers that I should know and haven't yet met. So we fixed that today, JJ. We did, and I uh, listen, I'm humbled to be considered your peer. I'll tell you that to start, but it is... Uh, it's it's fascinating to bump into new people after being around franchising literally all my life, or at least all my professional life. Uh, so yeah, it's it was fun to catch up, and I'm looking forward to catching up even more here. Well, let's begin the way we always do, with you telling us how and when franchising bumped into you. Well, Stan, it's a it was a, a coincidence, or a, you know, I kind of lucked into it. I when I came out of college, I dated my wife through all through college, and we got married immediately. I graduated from college. In, in May, and we were married in August, and I had to get a job pretty quickly. And so I went into a company called Carry International. I really answered an ad in the Washington Post for a controller position. I was a finance guy, and I worked there for a couple of years. My wife and I decided we wanted to get back to Pittsburgh. That was in the Washington, D.C. area. She landed a great position. She was in IT, and so I chased her back to Pittsburgh, um, and I did it the old school way. Now, this is in 1990, and back then, to find a job, you went to the library library and found the names of the 50 chief financial officers in Pittsburgh, and you wrote them letters. And the CFO at GNC at the time saw my resume and recognized my background at Cary International in a franchising background. And at the time, GNC was just starting to franchise. And so he interviewed me, uh, hired me to be the controller for the new franchising company. When I started at GNC in 1990, there were 900 company-owned stores and 25 franchise stores. Literally, the day I started, we had just opened our 25th franchise store. And I spent 15 years there. Uh, and during those 15 years, we opened 5,000 stores in 42 countries. And at the end of that tenure, uh, the last four years I was at GNC, I was the, the, the head of the franchising business uh, from 2000 to 2000, 2001 to 2005. So fantastic experience, learned so many lessons, got stung by lots of bees, made lots of mistakes, worked under some people that are still my franchising mentors today. And so that was my jump in into franchising. And as I thought about my career, sort of in the middle of that GNC experience, I would tell my wife, well, I think I'm going to maybe look for something new here because I've been at GNC for a while and I think it has to be in franchising. And my wife would say, ah, that's not that special. You can go work in any business. But I decided at that point that I really liked franchising. I really liked helping people be successful in their in their lives. And then secondarily, helping in the business, helping people be successful in whatever business we were in. So that was the start of it. I kind of lucked into it coming out of college. But then that CFO got a letter on his desk who was just starting to franchise at GNC and Boy, what a fantastic experience it was to be a part of that, that organization. GNC got stung by Amazon, didn't it? A little bit, but in 1999 and 2000, Walmart kind of jumped into the fray and it actually made GNC sharpen its saw a little bit because the business had to change a little. You know, vitamin C is vitamin C, but what GNC did in the early 2000s was they pivoted to, there's a, a product called Ester C, which is a little more absorbable vitamin C. Well, Walmart didn't sell that. They sold vitamin C, but they didn't sell Ester. So the customer still pivoted back to GNC there in the early 2000s because they were able to still talk to their true customers about the special formulations and the things that were proprietary. They've lost their way a little bit since then. I think they're coming back now. There's a really strong management team there now. They've got different ownership. But uh, certainly from 2010 to 2012,
2020, it was a very difficult environment for that company, for sure. So walk us forward from there. What came after GNC? So I left GNC to become the CEO at Huntington Learning Centers. It's a very well-known franchising company, and I was very fortunate there to, to work with founders. I think one of the great experiences I've had, and I, I tell people today, to work with Ray and Eileen Huntington, who founded the industry of supplemental education. You know, Sylvan and those others came along after Huntington Learning Centers. They were first. And I told people, this is like working with Ray Kroc or Dave Thomas. I mean, these people founded an industry. So I was very fortunate to be alongside them. And I helped, again, taking my experiences from GNC with the way we grew and was able to help Huntington literally double the size of the company in 20 months. And it, it really transformed Huntington Learning Center and obviously a very successful business today long after I left. I left there, was recruited away by a private equity firm for about a year and a half, and they had just acquired an indoor tanning franchise. Unfortunately, they got into a kind of a bad transaction. It became a return of investment situation instead of a return on investment. And they didn't need a growth, they didn't need a growth CEO. They needed a restructuring guy. So I moved on from there after about a year and a half. And we had assembled a really strong team there. Some great names in franchising were working with us there. Steve Beagleman, as an example, I think you probably know Steve. So uh, he, he and I were together in that organization. And so after that, I left there and I went to work for a company called Safeguard Business Systems, which is a, a B2B franchise owned by Deluxe Corporation today. Safeguard's been around for a really long time and kind of entered into franchising accidentally or were forced to enter into franchising back in the early 2000s because California thought, you know, this looks more like a franchise than it does look, look uh, like a licensed business. And so when I joined the company in 2009, I was the first franchising person that had ever worked at Safeguard. And the same thing, we tripled the size of that company in 10 years. The team, we assembled a really talented team there and helped grow that business. And I left there about two years ago to join Best Life Brands with the private equity firm called the Riverside Companies. Been a fantastic experience so far and really excited about the work that we're doing, both to help franchisees grow, but also to help seniors live their best life. What a track record Riverside's got. I mean, who doesn't know the experience of Neighborly and the Dwyer Group with Riverside in their history book? So if the trajectory there is an indicator, touche, you're in a great place. Yeah, no question. I did not know. I mean, I knew Riverside from Neighborly, but I did not know Riverside at all other than that. And my due diligence outside of franchising was very strong, very strong signals. And I'll tell you, they handled the COVID experience so well. We had one of our brands did not handle COVID very well. It's a very difficult business to be in. And I reached out to them early in the COVID process and said, listen, we cannot collect royalties from these franchisees right now. They can't afford it. And they deferred. They didn't even question, like, do what you need to do to make sure the franchisees are successful. That was the feedback I got. And we deferred literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in royalties to allow our franchisees to be successful during a very difficult time. And that right there, and I I joined the company a week before COVID started. So that signal to me was like, oh my goodness, I made such a good decision to be here their track record notwithstanding, that signal to me was, it wasn't about their cash flow. It wasn't about their EBITDA. It was about take care of the franchisees and we know we'll be successful down the road. Well, and that's what makes it in franchising is an understanding of the difference between transactional thinking and relationship management. And in this business, it's got to be the long haul and no sprinting. It's all marathons and it's all relational, not transactional. And anybody who gets in this business from any level that doesn't figure that out early is gone pretty quickly. No doubt. And I was also trained to stay on a long 
time ago by somebody when I worked with him. He's my franchising mentor. I worked with him at GNC for 10 years. And he talked about the five-legged stool. When you're making decisions and you're thinking about things inside the business, there's a five-legged stool. There's five constituencies to consider. Every business has four constituencies. You think about the customer, the vendor, the employee, and the shareholder. Those four, every business has those four. Our fifth constituency, of course, is the franchisee. I order them client, franchisee, vendor, employee, shareholder. And so when you're considering a decision, whatever that might be, deferring royalties because franchisees can't pay. Is that good for the client? Not impacted. Uh, Good for the franchisee? Yes. Good for the stakeholder? Long-term? Yes. Employees not impacted. Vendors not impacted. So the stool's in balance. Off you go. You can come up with really good ideas like let's raise prices 40%. Well, that's not so good for the client, is it? And so then you have the stool out of balance. It still could be a good idea. So now you have to try and figure out a way to get that fifth client's leg on the stool to be in balance. And if you can do that, then you probably have a good idea. That was such great training for me. And it helps my teams understand decisions that we make. I don't think we pull the five-legged stool off for every decision. But when someone questions it, then we can pull it out and go, look, this is we're thinking about all five constituencies here. And we think we have the stool in balance. Let's move forward. So back to your point about being transactional or long-term, that stool's really helped me in a, as a tool and help my teams as a tool make really good decisions for the business. This is a question that I probably would save for later in the conversation when we talk about umbrellas over multiple brands with private equity and portfolios. But the question is begged right now just because of the word shareholder. And the question that I want to ask you is how you feel about publicly held franchise companies. And this is a beef for me that I ask this of a lot of CEOs of publicly held companies and they defend that it works. But it seems to me that in a publicly held company, there are stakeholders and shareholders. Stakeholders are the franchisees, but your fiduciary responsibility as a CEO in that environment is to your shareholders. How do you make that work? How do you reconcile that? What are your thoughts on that? It's hard. And my experience for the last 11 years prior to joining Best Life Brands was at a public company. Company. It was a Fortune 1000. It was owned by Deluxe Corporation. They're a Fortune 1000 company. And as the division president running the franchising business for them, thankfully, we had a really considerate CEO. He was hard charging, very concerned about shareholder equity, but he also understood the franchising business and he relied on the experts in franchising. So it's, again, it goes back to that stool. And I'm able to use that tool then not just to the team, but also managing up. I can talk to the CEO and say, listen, here's the decision. We have to do this. And he may push back and it is a difficult situation. There's no question. And I think if you make decisions three or four years in a row because the shareholders or stakeholders, shareholders need it, eventually the situation is going to get out of balance and out of kilter and you'll pay for it. Mm -hmm. I think you just have to keep all those entities in consideration. It's possible. And then you also have to make sure that you're in a business that's well-managed, I guess. Look, GNC for a period of time was also a public company. And I used to tell people I felt like I was a dieter that was getting on the scale every 30 minutes to check our progress. Like it was impossible to measure and see the progress every 30 minutes because that's how you get measured at a public company. But it's possible, but it does take special management techniques for sure. So today you're sitting at the head of the table as CEO of Best Life Brands, which includes 400 plus minus locations across four brands, Comfort Care, Care Patrol, Boost Home, and my old friends, Blue Moon Estate Sales. Yes. What's that like to be sitting at the head of the table across multiple brands versus heads down with one? Yeah, it's different because you're managing different expectations 
different trainings, different returns of investment for the initial investment for franchisees. You know, we have one of our brands will start out with lower volumes and, you know, by year four or five, we'll be in the mid six digits for revenues. And then we have another brand that starts out close to seven figure revenue numbers by the first 18 months. And by year four or five should be in the mid seven figures for revenues. And so those are different management techniques. Those are different expectations. You have to make sure and you recognize the differences there. But at the same time, we've got the same client. The part that Riverside has thought through is that we're taking care of the senior. And back back to Neighborly, they were all about home improvement. We've got a couple of other franchise brands now at Riverside. and They're very focused on certain segments. And so keeping that client in focus is helpful. And then it's fun to be able to switch from one brand to another. If you get a little bored with one, there's always opportunities and things to talk about at the other brand if you want to go over there and have some fun over there. I was thinking at first blush that all of these brands made sense to me and I could see the complementary nature of all three out of four. And it seemed to me the blue moon was out of place until I thought more about it and realized you are in the same exact customer base. You're in the same exact universe, aren't you? Yeah. The average age of our customers, not 80 over there at Blue Moon. We do venture into the younger generation, if you will, with clients. But generally speaking, we think of Blue Moon as senior care transition services. And so there will be other businesses that we'll be able to add on to that as we continue to expand the portfolio. But And by the way, that business has been so successful. What a wonderful place to operate. And that's where I think we're having a lot of fun. I was fortunate to be in Vitamins when Vitamins weren't really that popular and then they became popular and we were the only brand with franchising. And there are other estate sales franchises, but they're very small. Blue Moon is already the largest and one of the fastest growing. So that's a fun place to operate and can go back and read the Purple Cow and think about being first. That's a great place. So we're having fun with that business. And thankfully, our franchisees are being very successful with it so far. And it does fit in. And I think we'll be able to use that to pivot into other senior care transition services down the road. For the benefit of the audience, that story, the Blue Moon story, is one that you should all grab hold of and celebrate for the day that you may have the same good fortune that Deb Blue and her son had because the two of them, I remember them at the first, I think maybe it was a springboard. It might have been an emerging franchise or conference that they showed up at. And literally from the virtual beginnings till today to be exited with success and to have grown that brand to the place where private equity would look at it is just a real testament to how quickly it can happen for a franchisor doing it right. No question. And, you know, Deb tells the story that she saw a billboard that said, you should franchise your business. And that was the trigger for her. I just literally just talked to her yesterday. I talked to her at least once a month. Her son is still in the business. They're a franchisee of ours. They, so they've, they're still connected to the business as a franchise. Franchisee. And, you know, I draw a lot of parallels. I think back to my GNC days. I started there. We opened the 25th franchise store on my first day in March 1990. When I started at Best Life Brands, we had 25 franchise locations for Blue Moon. Now, I don't think we're going to get to 4,000 locations in 40 countries with Blue Moon, but there's a lot of territory out there and there's a lot of people that need the help that the Blue Moon estate sales business brings. So you're right. It's a great success story. There's so many out there and Deb and David are certainly one. Yeah. I'm happy for both of them. Listen, let's take a quick break right here. And when we come back, Let's talk a little about each of the brands and the value propositions that they bring to their consumers. And we'll talk some about the franchising model that you employ as well. We're talking today with JJ Sorrenti, CEO of Best Life Brands, and we'll be right back. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. 
We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zor Forum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zor Forum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at zorforum.com. That's www.zorforum.com. And the conversation continues with JJ Sorrenti, CEO of Best Life Brands, a portfolio of four concepts today that are across 400 locations and four brands being Comfort Care Patrol, Boost Home, and Blue Moon Estate Sales. So JJ, do each of these brands operate independently with their own executive teams? They do. Each of the organizations has a brand president and a field team and a trainer uh, or trainers. And then we expand from there and we have shared support in groups like marketing or legal finance and places like that. But each of the organizations operates actually out in the field and in training with a brand president and uniquely on each other's stance there. You know, there are some in franchising that think that the market segment of senior care is just overcrowded. In fact, I remember being at a franchise conference many moons ago when I was still on the Zor side of the business. And I was with Tudor Doctor then. And I remember being at this franchise conference where there must have been 18 or 19 different senior care brands represented. And we broke into our groups to talk to the groups of brokers, probably had three of the elder care type brands in my group. And we thought, wow, this segment is getting so crowded. What we came to learn quickly, and I don't remember who it was, it might've been somebody from Bright Star, I think, that made mention of the fact that the only place that this segment is crowded is in this room. But across the country, there's like 70 million people turning 65 next year, and there aren't enough of us, believe it or not. So speaking Speak to that, if you will, about the market cap and how big this space is. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And listen, I these folks that are turning 65 today, we were helping them find vitamins and nutrition back in the 90s and 2000s. So I'm kind of chasing this demographic a little bit in my own career. But literally in the next three decades, the number of people over 65 are going to double. So you mentioned 70 million. It's, it's going from 40 million to 80 million. And then those over 85 will be the largest segment of that senior cohort. So it's a rapidly aging population. But then people have more chronic health issues than ever before. And the added nuances around navigating the pandemic, the nation's going to be in a complex and demanding period where heavy resources are needed to meet the health needs of this aging population. So the demand, I know all of us, we talk, several of the CEOs in the senior care space have conversations and we're all just overwhelmed with the demand. And so it, it's a fun place to be. And we probably could not just grow fast enough right now because I love this, the opportunity that we bring to franchisees and I love the service we bring to clients, we just need to get more pins in the map so we can go help more people because there's a lot of demand out there. 
Last time I looked, it was somewhere around a $300 billion industry. Has that expanded beyond that too? Yeah, it has. And it's because the services are expanding. More and more and more in-home care services are happening. Physicians at home, you probably, and during the pandemic, I know I did, I had a physician visit that I didn't go to the office. It was virtual. And so more and more and more in-home services are expanding. And then of course, as the population ages, what else can they do? I literally heard a physician make a presentation at a home healthcare seminar about a year ago. And he said he can do more services in the home with the truck that he drives up than a primary care physician can do in an office because he brings this stuff with him. So those services are going to expand. And so therefore the market continues to grow. It's a fascinating situation. And I think we're all trying to figure out where should we specialize and what should we focus on to make sure that we're delivering the best possible care. Why don't you walk us through a quick overview of Comfort Care and Care Patrol and Boost and help us understand what they have in common, where the overlaps may be and what it is they do. So the overlap is simple for us. You know, we're an organization that's dedicated to the well-being of others so that our clients don't have to choose between living their own life and helping whoever they have to be the caregiver for. They don't have to make that choice. And we have all these services that we offer through the brands I'm about to talk about that continue to sort of take care of those clients as they move through whatever continuum they may be in. So we start with, we always talk about Comfort Care first because it was the first brand in our portfolio. It's a combination of comfort care across the country. And we also use the name at your side in the Houston market. That business is a a franchise provider of in-home caregiving and private duty nursing services. So we literally go in the home, kind of like companionship, companion care. There are some private duty nursing services that we do, but it's generally less sophisticated, but mom's getting checked on and usually on a daily basis. And sometimes there's even 24 seven services that are necessary. So that's kind of business one. Business two is Care Patrol, which was founded by Chuck and Becky Bongiovanni. Becky's still in the business today as the brand president, again, working with a founder. 20 years ago, they started this business and started to franchise. And we describe it as the nation's largest franchise senior solutions organization. And we help people find the best community for their client or for their mom or dad as they try and navigate what is very complicated situation. Mom can't live at home anymore. So where do you go? And I'll tell you from my own personal experience, my mother-in-law, we placed her in three different communities and they were all wrong. We did not know what we were doing. Uh, I wish I would have known about Care Patrol at the time. What's fascinating too about that business is we provide that service. So Stan, you call us, we interview you, we understand mom's situation, and then we give you three or four communities for you to consider. And you go visit. And if you make the decision, then we kind of chaperone you through that process. And the service is free. You don't pay that for anything. And so I love that model. The franchisee gets paid by the whatever community you end up placing mom in. So the fact that it's a free service to you, I love that value proposition. And, you know, again, it's a fast growing brand. Boost Home Healthcare is a home healthcare rehabilitation clinical services business. We are just starting this. We acquired a business in Southern California and learned the home health business. We acquired it about a year ago. We've been running it for about six or nine months. We built the franchising platform, got the training together, the operating manuals together, and think people coming out of some kind of emergent care or special hospitalization. And so they need occupational therapy or speech therapy or physical therapy or wound care, cancer infusions. We offer all those services through the Boost Home Healthcare franchise. And so we're not the first business in that space. There are some very, very, very mature franchises that have been around a really long time in franchising in the home health space. And we see a ton of demand in that space. And so we want to try and leverage that through franchising and try and build some capacity for those people that need that service. And then we've talked about Blue Moon. Sure. Um, 
in the senior care space there and the senior care transition services for Blue Moon. Care Patrol sounds, from your description, like it could have been founded by Jana Bailey or Jeff Elgin. It sounds a whole lot like franchise brokerage. It, obviously, with a different target audience, but it is like that. It, it's a very difficult situation. Like, where do you go? What community? I, we had no idea. I feel so bad. Thankfully, my mother-in-law is in a very, very comfortable today. We finally found the right community. We were 0 for 3, and we finally got her in. She's very happy and very comfortable where she is today. But the difficulties through that process were hard on her and they were hard on us. You know, we were trying to make the best decisions and we couldn't. And the informed decision that you can make with the information that our franchisees carry with them, they have a database of 20,000 communities. They understand each one of the communities in their area. And when they interview you, they'll tell you, this is where mom should go. But here are two others as well. And then the client can make their decision and go. And it's such a great service. Well, very fascinating. The model does sound exactly the same. We get two or three franchise concepts as a prospect for a franchise and you pick and choose your choice of the three and it almost sounds identical but let's move from there to a more fascinating even than that topic for me is the evolution of what's going on in private equity and franchising and private equity came swooping into this business model i guess back 20 or so years ago work capital became i think the first player in the space that any of us had ever heard of and even so 20 years later they seem to be a much different kind of a company with a purchase and hold mentality more so than the five-year flip that we see in private equity but private equity seems to be advancing and doubling down on its game in franchising, not just with the investment into companies, but now putting umbrellas up over those companies and building portfolios. Why don't you give us a little of your knowledge in that space as the CEO of one of those type companies? Yeah, I think it creates a wonderful advantage for an emerging franchisor. We'll go back to the Blue Moon estate sales business. You know, when they had 25 locations two years ago and the pandemic hit, I think if a business was still owned just by the founders, that would have been a very difficult time for that company. But private equity gave some financial stability, gave some marketing resources that we had access to. We were able to sort of see the longer term vision to help those 25 franchisees get through. But we were also continuing to sign franchisees up, I think, because they saw well, this pandemic's an opportunity to continue to build this business. So I think private equity gives some stability to the emerging side of the franchise business and it helps that growth happen. And you have to be careful. You want to make sure you're dealing with a private equity firm that understands your business, that understands your culture, that can match up with your culture because we've all heard bad stories about when those cultures don't match up, but there are plenty of good opportunities to make those matches. And then I just sat on a panel and I heard this other, CEO mentioned this about private equity and franchising, and I think it's a really good point. You know, I'm able to recruit better talent to the organization that I work in today because we have this financial stability. We have this private equity firm behind us, and I'm able to bring different talent in. If I were just a franchisor with 200 locations, I'm not sure I would be able to have the team I have today. That helps recruit stronger talent into this umbrella portfolio. And then if you have better talent, then you can add more brands because why not leverage that brilliant marketing leader that we have at Best Life Brands or those brilliant finance people or that brilliant Fran Dev team, leveraging those people to help more brands continue to grow. I think those are the two big benefits that private equity are bringing to franchising that I didn't see 20 years ago. For years, it seems like there's been a feeding frenzy of private equity companies just trying the best they can to scoop up brands. What are your thoughts on some of the multiples that have been paid for some of those brands and what that bubble might look like at some point in the future? You can get a little 
little worried about that. We talk to candidates about that because candidates walk in the door today and say, okay, you like Riverside companies. That's great. How long are they going to be around? I'm signing a 10-year franchise agreement. How long are they going to be around? Because if it's not 10 years, what's the next guy going to be about? And if he spends too much money to buy Best Life brands, what's my life going to be like five years from now? So it is a risk and it is something that we all have to understand. I tell people that private equity firms that really are credible, you mentioned one, Rourke, their reputation is off the charts, but they have this great reputation because they don't sell their businesses for too much money. They sell them as best possible price they can get, but they also don't strap the buyer with something so that down the road, somebody says, oh yeah, you know, every company that used to be in that private equity firm, those guys sell for too much and then it fails as soon as they sell it. Riverside was very careful with that too. I think when they exited from Neighborly, Neighborly's been wildly successful since Riverside left and that's helped Riverside continue to expand in franchising. So I think the credible, trustworthy, smart private equity firms will exit at the right ratios and at the right multiples to make sure, one, that they do everything they can for their shareholders and, and investors, but two, to make sure that the company's successful on the back end because that name's always going to be on their website as an exit and they want to make sure that they have successful exits. What advice can you give to the audience with reference to the wagons being circled all the time by private equity companies that are coming to them and how to go about the due diligence that you need to conduct to know that you're tying up with the right partners? What are some of those things that they should consider that might not be top of mind when they're just looking at dollar signs? Yeah. And so my experience with that is always on the buyer side of it. So I can tell you what good sellers have talked to me about. And we weren't necessarily a private equity firm at my last company, but we did 140 acquisitions where we bought single units and merged them into our franchise business. And look, I mentioned it earlier and I'll say it again. If you have to have 10 meetings or 20 meetings or just two meetings, you have to make sure you understand and communicate what your culture is and what the culture that you want to have happen after you sell the business and make sure that that private equity firm or whatever owner it is will continue that culture. The worst thing a founder can do is to sell to a private equity firm or sell to an umbrella company and then their culture changes. They'll hate themselves forever. It's just not a comfortable thing. That's not the dream that they had. And then the second thing I think that any seller has to understand is, and I've got a third, the second thing I think they have to understand is what do they want to do after they sell? Do they want to stay in the business? Do they want to retire? Do they want to be the COO? What do they want to do? And make sure that that gets written down and understood and committed to by whoever the buyer is, because you don't want to think you're going to stay in the business. And then six months later, the PE firm or whoever the stakeholder says, ah, we don't need you. We've got other people. People that can manage this business now. So you want to have that defined. And then the third thing is you just have to understand this. We've talked about some of the benefits of private equity and ownership. There are stability, there's long-term views, those kinds of things. But you have to know that decisions take longer. If you're a founder today, you're probably making decisions. You kind of feel it in your fingertips and you pivot the company or you throw a new idea out into the system and the 30 or 50 or 60 franchisees can go with you and they believe you as a founder. If you then sell your business, and you're a CEO and it's the same company, but private equity is behind you, they're going to want data-driven analysis. They're going to want to make data-driven decisions. And that slows you down a little. It usually makes you better, but it slows you down. And so some founders hate that. Like, gosh, this takes too long. I can't stand how hard this is to get a decision made. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I always look back inside our own organization today. You know, we had a founder at ComfortCare. He's a brilliant guy. He built this business to a certain level. He did some data. He was a fine 
finance guy, but he did everything kind of by his fingertips. And then eventually someone would bring data to him after the decision was made. And they say, oh, this is never going to work. We knew it now. Look, and they say, oh, yep. Okay. That's sorry. We made, that was a mistake. Let's just keep going. I got five more ideas. We'll be fine. And so private equity is probably not going to allow for that kind of shiny object kind of mentality. And so I think you have to understand that as a founder, that those three things are really important. Culture, what do you want to do? And just know that decisions are going to be a little slower on the back end. JJ, you filled the audience with a ton of nuggets, as my friend Brian Schnell would call these pearls of wisdom. What have I not asked you that you wish that I did, if anything at all, before we ask you to share contact info with the audience? Oh, I don't even think that there is anything that we missed. You know, we're really proud of the business that we're in today. And there's awards that are coming our way. And that kind of recognition is fun for us too. And I think that sort of that third party endorsement is always important too, as people are evaluating how to build their business. Don't be afraid to enter a beauty contest or two and get those ranked and get those endorsements from third parties because that'll also help with valuation. That'll also help with candidates. I think getting some milestones up to your journey through awards and recognition like that are also important, but uh, you always do a great job. I told you earlier, I've listened to a handful of these podcasts and I couldn't imagine another better question to suggest to you at this point. Why don't you then instead give a shout out to one of those awards that I remember reading about with Franchise Business Review? The Care Patrol business must be the one you're mentioning or remembering. Yes, uh, so Care Patrol has been named uh, 11 years in a row now in the Franchise Business Review. And those of you that know Franchise Business Review, you know, this is an evaluation and a survey by franchisees in your system. And I have to admit, all my years at GNC, I was always afraid to do that. It's a <laughs> survey our franchisees because sometimes you, you just don't know what you're going to hear. But Care Patrol is very bold. You know, the founders were bold. They wanted to hear from their franchisees and get that feedback in a survey. In 11 years now, they've been ranked in Franchise Business Review. And so they've entered the Hall of Fame. What a fantastic endorsement on the work that they do on behalf of the franchise system. I salute all those CEOs of franchise companies that have the courage to go on undercover boss for the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Encourage is a, exactly the right word for <laughs> those things that we just talked about. How about some contact info? I'm certain there are going to be people in this audience that are going to want to reach out and learn a little more. Yeah. So my email address is a little bit clumsy because I've got an Italian last name and a long brand that I work for. So my email address is J Sorrenti, just the letter J and my last name is spelled S like Sam. O-R-R-E-N-T-I at bestlifebrands.com. People can call me. I give my phone number here too. I'd love to take calls and find some time on the calendar to, to meet. It's my desk line in Michigan is 248-791-7506. You can also find me on social media. I'm on Twitter. You'll have to tolerate my corgi pictures and my weekend golf and my West Virginia University fandom, but I'm on Twitter at JJ Sorrenti as well. So any place there or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn too. I've got a network that's only half the size of Stan, so I'm trying to catch up. I would love Careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would love some more connections to uh, expand my network. All right. My last question is, what does JJ stand for? Ah, thank you. So it's John Joseph. I'm a little bit of a unique situation. So when I was born, my father is also John Joseph and my grandfather was born in Italy. So he is Giovanni Baptiste. So John B. And my mother did not want me called Junior and she did not want me called Johnny. So she made sure my birth certificate showed the second. I was not the Junior. My father's still alive, but I'm listed on my birth certificate as the second. And so they hung the JJ label on me because there were so many John's running around. So that's the history of that. I ran the risk of offending you by asking, but I just had to know. 
<laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. You know, there's always a long story in an Italian family around names. So Amen. you got you got the answer. All right. This has been a fascinating conversation. We could probably go on for 30 or 45 minutes more, but the clock won't let us. So I've got to thank you for sharing with us today, JJ, and for bringing so much wisdom to the audience. It, it's my privilege to be with you. And I hope to connect with a whole bunch of folks to learn more about this business. It's a constant pursuit of mine to continue to learn more I can about business and about franchising. And so I appreciate the work that you do to help me do that as well. Thank you so, so much. JJ Sorrente, CEO of Best Life Brands. Well, did you get the sense that JJ loves what he does? One of my favorite mentors in franchising, Tony Conza, taught me that second to money to succeed in franchising, you've got to have passion. Lots and lots of passion. Well, JJ can certainly check that box. And I hope that you'll agree he certainly delivered a ton of take-home value in today's conversation. So that's a wrap for today. Until next week, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.